When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, we're back. It's another Carolina podcast. A little bit early this week, but there's enough going on with South Carolina football, especially in the world of recruiting, that Wes and Chris and I just couldn't wait to get together uh, virtually, of course, as we continue to social distance to do this podcast. It's uh, kind of become a, I don't know, I'm almost I'm almost used to it, which is a shame because I, uh, I miss seeing you guys, but we're still apart. Hopefully, sooner rather than later, we will be getting back together. The football team's back together. Uh, recruiting is still happening all virtually, and so I guess maybe once recruiting gets back to normal, we can get back to normal in terms of uh, seeing each other and doing this podcast in person. But I uh, wanted to hop on and, and do this a little bit earlier this week to talk about South Carolina's latest commitment, and that is Jaden Johnson. Um, Wes, I don't know if this was something that was expected. Again, it seems like a lot of these, a lot of these, I don't want to say have come out of left field because these are relationships that have already been established by South Carolina, but in terms of the timing of them, there hasn't, for a lot of these guys, it hasn't been, you know, the big buildup and the big fanfare has just been kind of like, oh, hey, you know, I, I just decided that I want to commit today. So uh, for South Carolina and for Jaden Johnson on a scale of one to 10, with one being we completely expected this and 10 being it came completely out of left field, where does this rank? Uh, yeah, I'd say as far as the commitment yesterday, um, it was probably a 10, um, you know, it's something that's been in, in the works maybe the last couple of weeks. Now, if you go back a, a few weeks before that, you know, maybe at the time it would have been a three or four. But, uh, you know, I, I think someone, like you said, South Carolina has developed the relationship for a, for a long time. Will Muschamp has been very involved as well. He's involved with, with all the guys they, they target, really. But with him, Jane Johnson being a, a defensive back recruit, even though he's listed as an athlete on, on rivals, uh, you know, been recruited as a DB for South Carolina. That means both T-Rob and Will Muschamp are, are both heavily involved and uh, have really built a strong relationship there. This falls in the category, you know, we've, we've talked about some other recruits who have committed places with, you know, without visiting. Uh, this, this is one for South Carolina where he's actually not visited campus, but just felt very, very strongly about the connection, the relationship there and uh, chooses South Carolina over some some other schools that I, I think at one time felt like they were in pretty good shape. Uh, Georgia Tech, there was some thought that that may be where he was headed. Uh, from what Chad Simmons told us, our, our rivals recruiting analysts there in Georgia, Arkansas at one time felt like they were maybe in, in pole position, and Oklahoma probably the, the biggest offer for Jaden Johnson. But, but, yeah, I think someone that, that South Carolina has liked for a while and that they're happy to get. Yeah, Chris, you have the write-up on Gamecock Central, and as you look at his list of offers, it is there's kind of a lot of variance there. Now, you know, there are most guys like if if you're someone that ends up going to Alabama or Clemson or Oklahoma or Georgia or wherever, your offer list is going to be huge, and and a lot of smaller schools that don't really have any chance of landing you are going to offer you just because you can't not offer a guy like that. But there's it's not a huge offer list, and again, I think it's because it's early in the process, but again, there's a lot of variance there. I mean, you have the, the Georgia Southerns and the East Carolinas and the Georgia States, obviously because he is from Georgia State, but 
as Wes mentioned, you know, you have Arkansas, which is not in great shape, but still an SEC program. Obviously, South Carolina, where he just committed. Oklahoma, you have, uh, you know, Ole Miss, obviously, with uh, Lane Kiffin there now. So maybe a, a little bit of an added draw. But what has been the, uh, I guess, from Jaden Johnson's perspective, what's the uh, recruiting process been like that has led to him getting such a kind of a random and eclectic list of offers throughout this process? Well, I think one thing to keep in mind is just the the nature of the recruiting cycle that we're in. And so, again, you sort of rewind back to late February, early March, when the last visits were wrapping up, unbeknownst to everybody, and the coronavirus hit and the shutdown hit. You know, the, the questions that we all had were just how would this affect the whole recruiting process? So we've seen more early commitments in general. Um, we still don't know when in-person recruiting will open up. We know that, like, for example, camp season was basically obliterated. There are a few private camps that are happening here and there, but school camps were eliminated. There was a thought that there'd be some at the end of July. Those were next when the NCAA, you know, extended the dead period out. So really no college camps this year at all. And so that's a huge evaluation tool, not only for South Carolina, but a bunch of others. Then, you know, no spring evaluation period. So college coaches are largely going off what they, of you know, previous tape, then what they hear from coaches who have, you know, for example, played against these guys, um, what they see that, you know, doing some virtual, you know, quote unquote, spring evaluation stops at schools. Uh, but there's, there's not an opportunity for, say, you know, recruiting analysts who do the rankings. They didn't have a chance this spring to see how certain guys have progressed or maybe to see guys for the first time. Um, And college coaches are in that same boat. So, yeah, we've seen new offers go out. Uh, But but the the point is, Pearson, that the schools are flying a little bit more blind on guys and they're having to go off what they see. Mm -hmm. And we've seen schools sort of load up on some guys. And and what you don't want to do, and maybe some schools are going to sacrifice quality in the end. I'm not relating that point to Jaden Johnson, because I think there's a lot to like about him. He's a guy that South Carolina liked a lot regardless. But, you know, some schools are loading up, and you just got to look at it through that lens of, hey, this is a unique time. You got to sort of see how it plays out. But, um, you know, he's he's someone that the staff's been recruiting for a while, you know, and he fell into that category of, like Wes said, even though he hasn't visited on campus, you know, he was ready to commit. He was ready to get things over with heading into his final, you know, senior season. And, had a really good bond with the staff and so it made sense and it made sense for Carolina in a class where you know defensive back maybe a little bit down in terms of attainable targets in the southeast and he's a guy that they feel like projects really well with his length and his Mm -hmm. his skill set well he's played on both sides of the ball as you mentioned listed Mm -hmm. as an athlete and it's 6'2 almost 200 pounds is everybody else pretty much recruiting him at defensive back or is that sort of an advantage for South Carolina in this process I mean, he, he really had, you know, uh, opportunities to play. I mean, South Carolina even looked at him on the offensive side of the ball. You know, the staff believed that he could play there, but they have targeted him, targeted him, South Carolina has, mostly as a defensive back. I mean, you look at, you know, the coaches recruiting him. Will Muschamp was heavily involved, as he typically is with priority guys. But, you know, T-Rob was heavily involved, and so they talked with him more about, you know, the nickel position, the cornerback position, the dime position. And so that's really where they sort of prioritized him. He was sort of on the board as an athlete with the thought that, hey, if, if we want to play him in another position, he can. But really most of the conversation on the South Carolina end was, you know, defensive back. But 
you know, mm-hmm. that said, you know, really the only thing, he, you know, he wasn't going to go and play quarterback in college. That's just not his position. But some programs felt like he could play, you know, defensive back or receiver, you know, or, or just sort of get him to campus and figure out where to mm-hmm. put him at that point. Now, Wes, this is kind of a general philosophical question, but for South Carolina and, and we'll say for tiers that are in or schools that are in sort of that second tier of recruiting, you know, South Carolina doesn't exactly get their pick of the litter on, on the recruiting trail, not like the, you know, perennial college football playoff contenders get. It, is there maybe a move because of all the uncertainty in this year's recruiting class, not knowing when you can bring guys, you know, on campus for official visits? We're going to talk about the schedule in a little bit and it could be uh, September 1st. I think maybe that's a day that Will Muschamp mentioned, but with all that uncertainty, is that going to lead schools like you know the South Carolinas and the Tennessees and the Arkansas to maybe favor guys that have that project more versatility? Because if you can't get your number one option at safety and your number one option at receiver, is it maybe better to have someone like Jaden Johnson that you think would have the potential to fill out either of those roles, depending on where else you might come up short because of all the because of all the just weirdness in how twenty twenty one is panning out, or at least the class of twenty twenty one. Yeah, well, I think um, I think versatility in general, you know, maybe there's a little bit, maybe that helps you a little bit more with the way things are playing out this year. But you know, in, in general, especially if you can't get that that four or five star guy that's just almost a no brainer. Anytime you have a guy that has some versatility, maybe can do some different things, and uh, you know, I, I think you you just covet athleticism in, in general, and if you're going to miss. Um, miss with a guy who's super athletic or miss with a guy who, you know, who's fast. And, and what the, what I mean by that is like, if you're, if, if you've got a guy that's maybe borderline, you want to see a little bit more of, but you're in this weird uncertainty that we're in right now. Um, you know, you, it never hurts to sort of take a chance on a guy that's super athletic. I, you know, I watched Jaden Johnson's basketball film. That's something that the more, the more I hear from coaches, uh, the more I do this myself, I, I've tried to, you know, Chris and I have taken in some basketball games of football prospects, and I've started watching the film. You know, when, when these guys are really good basketball players and just look comfortable, look fluid on the basketball court, a, a lot of times to me that that sort of transfers over to, to the football field as well. So with Jaden Johnson, you're talking about a guy who's very fluid. Um, he's got some bounce on the basketball court to – still sort of the, the basketball terminology you see those guys use. And, you know, I, I think all that plays a part. And, I, uh, you know, I, I'm not so sure the guy couldn't help you at, at receiver if it didn't work out on the defensive mm-hmm. side. But I, I think in general, guys who play quarterback, that's, uh, that, that's not a bad direction to go either because most of the time they're one of their current teams, they're one of their high school's best overall athletes. Because the coach has just decided, hey, I'm, I'm going to put my best player at quarterback. And uh, most of the time they have a good feel for the game. And I am, um, you know, I personally, you know, even though Jaden mentioned, you know, nickel, dime, corner, I personally think uh, he ends up being, uh, you know, a safety in this scheme, sort of like uh, an RJ Roderick, like a big bodied mm-hmm. safety. May, may, to me, maybe even has the frame to ultimately be a linebacker in today's college football world. You never know what's going to happen once a guy, uh, you know, with a big frame like that gets into a college weight program. But uh, point I'm getting at, if they have an understanding of football, a football IQ, uh, sort of a feel for why an offense is doing what it's doing, 
that can help. And as we've talked about before, safety is a position in this scheme that requires a lot mentally. So I think that can sort of give you a little bit of a leg up if you come into that position potentially uh, with a really good feel for the game and sort of how things play out. But I, uh, to your point, I mean, we, we saw Caleb McDowell uh, sort of being a guy who's a good defensive player but is being recruited as a running back. We talked about how Sam Reynolds is a guy that is probably a slot receiver but can do some stuff out of the backfield. And, yeah, I think there sort of has been a premium not just on speed and athleticism but on versatility in this recruiting class. Yeah, and you're right. I mean, that just has a lot to do with the way that the game is played today. But I just wonder if we'll see uh, – again, maybe not an emphasis on those guys, but it just it maybe gives you a little bit more leeway in a time of uncertainty. Um, but, Chris, uh, speaking of uncertainty, ever since Will Muschamp mentioned it last Monday in his teleconference, I, I really appreciated the way that he talked about some of these early commitments as uh, reservations, maybe more than firm commitments. And I guess when we talked about uh, – it wasn't Reynolds uh, last week. Oh, last, yeah, last week was uh, Caleb McDowell. When we talked about Caleb McDowell, I asked, I don't remember which one of you, is this a reservation or is this a commitment? And uh, I'll do this for everybody else uh, just because it's, I think, uh, you know, honestly like an important and interesting part of the conversation because so many of them uh, do seem to have been uh, reservations, especially when you think about a, you know, a place like Tennessee that has a class that's filled out. I think all three of us would be shocked if all 25 of those guys or 23 or however many of their <laughs> class can uh, can hold this year. I'll be shocked if all of those guys stay in there which is not to say they're not firm commitments but it's just there's a lot of time for things to change on that front so long-winded way of asking is Jaden Johnson's commitment a commitment or a reservation Chris you know I think it's a little bit more I would put it in the commitment category I think it's on more firm ground than some of them you see I don't think we're in any position to go through with with a few exceptions almost anybody's commitment list and say these guys are a thousand percent locked in you know it's just it's hard to tell nowadays under normal circumstances and especially now and so when I look at commitment lists across the country including South Carolina's you know one question I have is can you are other schools going to have an opportunity to actually get these guys on campus I mean I would think we're going to have in-person recruiting again at some point when is that? I don't know. It might not even be during the season. It might be. You know, I think, again, the recruiting piece is something that I think will be figured out a little bit later. You know, you got to get to the season, number one, first, make sure that all that's in order. you got to figure out the fans, get all that in order, and you also have to figure out the recruiting piece. So do you let prospects visit for games? That's a piece of it. Do you, uh, do you, push, it, uh, do you push it until later after the season? Do you extend, you know, another signing period, for example? I, I don't know if that will happen, but certainly, you know, there have been a lot of different theories and thoughts, you know, put, put forth behind the scenes as to what to do. So that's my own long-winded way of saying, you know, I, I think there's an element of we still don't know what recruiting looks like. So, you know, if we get into the season – Maybe let's say Jaden Johnson or some other guys have some huge season and they get a bunch of other schools jumping in, and then do they have an opportunity to go visit them? And because of the recruiting shutdown, do they decide to do that? Mm -hmm. Maybe so. I don't think you can ever rule that out. But right. I, do th I do think this wasn't a deal where he just was itching to jump in on somebody's commitment list, and so he just you know checked off his reservation and, and did that. I, I don't get that sense on this one just from everything we've heard. Mm -hmm. Right, and I guess when I ask you really just sort of what I'm looking for is because the only way that we would have any idea unless a guy is to say, yeah, this is the only place, you know, if it's someone from Columbia, it's like, I grew up a Carolina fan, this is the only place I've ever wanted to go. Short of that, I guess just what we would be looking at is sort of 
the relationship between either his primary recruiter or you know Will Muschamp and, and the kid himself, and it sounds like uh, that's probably what's what's having you say it's closer to a, a commitment is just the relationship there. Yeah, I think so. I mean, and and again, I think some people look at it on the surface, and it's very fair to do it and say, okay, this guy visited yet. I mean, gosh, but again, we are we are in sort of extreme circumstances right now, and so. You know, I, I think Johnson, South Carolina has very much taken the approach of they're not going to push guys to get in. You know, they're not going to say, hey, mm-hmm. we're running out of spots. I mean, because the evidence shows otherwise. I mean, before Johnson, they had seven verbal commitments. And so they're they're not going to push guys. And Will Muschamp's been very outspoken about that, about we're not going to push guys. So you do feel a little bit better about it with all those things, all those factors considered when, you know, he's just built up a nice, trusting relationship. He doesn't feel pushed. He doesn't feel like he's got to jump in somewhere. When he actually does it on his own time, you know, you tend to feel better about it. Right. Yeah, that's a good point, too. And I'd be curious. I mean, that, that's. I think that is being highlighted now because other schools are putting that pressure on student-athletes. But it's not it, – this isn't new for Will Muschamp. I think he's always sort of taken – I don't want to call it a laissez-faire approach because that makes it sound like he's being passive. But I, I don't think – He's not a guy that's ever going to pressure a kid, at least not in, in my knowledge, in my experience, and I, I think y'all would probably uh, agree with that. So I'd be curious, um, and this is a, I'm just giving you guys a research project that maybe you don't want and maybe you don't have time to do because I know y'all are busy anyway, but I'd be curious to see like what kind of, and it's hard because, you know, again, some commitments are, are more placeholders than anything, but I, I wonder what the decommit rate has been for Will Muschamp, you know, at South Carolina or maybe over the the you know, length of his entire career as a coordinator and a head coach. Cause it just, it does seem like once guys commit to Will Muschamp, they're doing it just because they want to and not because they feel like they need to, or they feel like he's pressuring him to do, to do so. And I guess that does make it maybe a, a little more likely that guys are going to see that commitment through because it is on their terms. Well, oh, and there's always, you know, first of all, so much, I mean, Muschamp recruits in the Southeast and the SEC. So, if you're an SEC head coach, you've had decommitments, and you'll you'll have more. You know, I mean, that's just the way it is around here. It's part of it. Um, but yeah, they are a little bit different in that respect. I mean, they're not going to be. You know, there are certain situations. For example, I mean, South Carolina is going to take probably two offensive linemen this year. For, so at some point, once they get one in the boat, there's going to be you know four or five candidates on the board, and they're going they're probably going to tell guys hey, we've got one spot left, not as a pressure tactic, but just to let them know where things mm-hmm, stand, right. you know. And so that's a little bit different. And so there will be that, you know, there's a there's a prospect, uh, you know, in, in recent times that, you know, committed early to the staff and then ended up decommitting. Mm. And the staff, from my understanding, told him, you know, behind the scenes, look, if, if you're not ready, you really don't need to commit. And he committed anyway, and then he rolled off the commitment list because mm-hmm. he wasn't ready. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, <laughs> so, so there are situations like that, too, or even if you're telling a kid to pump the brakes. You know, that said, South Carolina is not going to say we're not going to take your commitment if, right. if they like it, if they like a player. And mm-hmm. you, you just you just have to know the situation going in is, hey, this guy's commitment may not be super firm, and you just plan accordingly. Mm-hmm. All right, well, Wes, it seems like there's one, uh, I guess the the spurs up that I saw on Twitter yesterday was not for Jaden Johnson. There was another one for Jaden Johnson, but there is another mysterious spurs up that we're waiting to get uh, verification on. And again, we're recording this a, a little bit earlier this week. We're doing this Tuesday morning instead of Wednesday morning. But do you know anything about that spurs up? And do you know when we might have some more clarification on that spurs up? 
Yeah, and, you know, we, we've seen this a couple times in the past. Uh, you know, sometimes the Spurs up goes out and then either, you know, there's a report where the kid has given a heads up on, you know, allowing it to be reported that he's the commitment or either most of the time these days the kid puts it out himself on Twitter. We've seen a few times where the Spurs up goes out and then uh, it is not revealed, and that's usually just because the kid's getting things in order as far as how he wants to put his commitment out and stuff. But that, that's the case here. I, you know, I would expect the commitment to, to come out um, sometime, you know, in the next week. But, you know, and also I, I think this is kind of the case where, you know, I believe the specific guy that that refers to is probably going to be in a week or so. But, um, you know, I think there's some other guys in the meantime that, that South Carolina – is uh, is also in, in really good shape with and, and could potentially, you know, make a decision. So I think there there obviously is that one official Spurs up that's, that's hanging out there that everybody's waiting on, but I think you could maybe even see some potentially other Spurs up come out uh, here soon. We, we talked a little bit last week, um, you know, on the Insiders Forum about how South Carolina has the chance to have maybe a little run of, of commitments, and we saw that with Jaden Johnson. And then, of course, the second Spurs up, it seems like, for whatever reason, guys, that these things come to, sometimes just come in waves. You know, it's like uh, it'll be quiet for a while, and then uh, South Carolina will, will land a few guys in a row. And I, I think that this is a situation where you could, you know, maybe see that happen in the next uh, week or so. And, and Wes, now that players are back on campus, and obviously last week was the first full week of uh, voluntary workouts. I, I almost called them involuntary workouts, which would have been a great uh, Freudian slip, but they are, in, in fact. Uh, voluntary workouts, but now that uh, obviously Will Muschamp can't be there in an official capacity, he's still conducting Zoom meetings is my understanding, but it's just Paul Jackson and the players, so it's not like he's necessarily more directly involved with what's happening now that players are back on campus, but uh, from from what you've gleaned just in the last week or so, you know, how much does that change? I I mean, not not exactly the recruiting calendar, because that remains the same, but should we expect more or fewer Spurs up over the course of the, the next couple of weeks as Carolina gets closer to resuming practice and starting sort of the football season proper? Yeah, I, I think more, like I said. And, um, you know, if, if anything, you know, recruiting has been, uh, I would say, probably still at a, at a you know, breakneck speed here the last couple of weeks, um, you know, just this week. You know, Chris, we, we saw, I guess, yesterday on Monday, if you were paying attention on Twitter, there were a ton of new offers sent out. Now, most of them to sort of underclassmen guys. You you can almost see the process playing out as South Carolina is just working their way through not just seniors, but then down through the juniors and now even uh, through the, the different sophomores that are already sort of making a name for themselves. So uh, there were a lot of underclassmen offers that went out uh, you know, yesterday, I, I think from what I've heard, that's been a big focus for South Carolina now is just to go ahead and try to get a leg up and offer some of these underclassmen. So, you know, even though the players are back, like you said, that that's more Paul Jackson and his staff who are focused on them. They still have the Zoom meetings, of course, but they've been having those. So th- there's been a huge recruiting focus now. You know, once, once we get into this calendar, we're going to talk about here in a second. I think at some point, Around mid-July, maybe the focus turns more towards the actual team. But right now, there's a lot of recruiting, and I, I do think, um, in my experience, 
there is sort of a push from prospects just in general. Once they start, you know, there there a lot of places are starting to be able to get back to workouts as well. And then once you start getting into July and then August, there's a usual just general push for kids to get some recruiting out of the way before they really dive into their senior season. So I, I think you always just see a little run of commitments in you know from that standpoint as well. So now how you know how is all that how is that usual trend affected by the current situation? I, I don't know, but a lot of guys are just like. I want to be focused on my season. Now, this year, you know, if you've waited all the way to July or August and you're still wanting to take some visits, it might be smart just to go ahead and, you know, go ahead and wait if you've waited this long. So we'll see how that plays out. You mentioned the schedule, so I guess we'll segue into that now, not even the recruiting schedule exactly, but the schedule for resuming football activities in a more official capacity. This was reported last week after it was voted on by the NCAA Football Oversight Committee. And that is uh, my understanding, and Wes, I think maybe you know a little bit more about this process. My understanding is that is a, a recommendation that will have to be made official by the NCAA Division One Council. Um, but that part of it, that vote, which I think is expected to take place later this week, either Thursday or Friday, is going to be something of a formality. It's um, you know basically that they, they listen to the recommendations of uh, the Football Oversight Committee, um, but they have approved or, or at least a, approved a recommendation of a schedule that would see July thirteenth be the first day that coaches are able to formally have access to their players for eight hours a week for a two-week period. And then starting on July 24th, they would move to a to 20-hour weeks, which I think is I, th- I think pretty normal and, and pretty much on schedule and have sort of an NFL-style OTA, which we had talked a lot about being a, a possibility in this uh, sort of abbreviated offseason. And then August 7th being the official start of preseason camp. So uh, I guess, Wes, anything more you know about that process, anything that I got wrong um, although I, I'm I, uh, I'm reading this from the uh, Gamecock Central newsletter, which, by the way, y'all should all be uh, a subscriber to. Uh, it's for free. All you have to do is put in your email address, and you just get everything that you need to know for the day, for the week, whatever, in your email inbox every single morning. That is where I'm reading this. That's where I read it on my show last week. It's very, very useful. I appreciate y'all uh, doing this very much because it's a wonderful resource. Um, but that is those are the big dates. What else do you know about the, the process of, of what this will look like in terms of implementation, Wes? Yeah, I mean, if you got it wrong, then you have no one to blame but me. Because, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I was the one who put that together uh, based on uh, the reporting initially from, from Bruce Feldman, I think it was. But, yeah, my understanding is, so you've got the NCAA Football Oversight Committee, and they pass uh, basically recommendations, and then the NCAA Division One Council will uh, – vote to approve it or not approve it and uh, the reporting from the national guys is that basically at this point it will just be a formality I I think the vote is this Friday but it's expected to be approved and you know these are the dates for teams that start the same time that South Carolina does if you you know if you start week zero as we've seen become more and more popular uh, you can basically move it up seven days move it up a week but basically on July 13th uh, the way it was phrased is that the coaches will finally have access to their players. Um, they'll continue the strength and conditioning work, but they'll also be able to have in-person meetings with the staff as opposed to just the uh, Zoom meetings. Then, as you said, July 24th, uh, they'll move to 20-hour uh, 20, 20 weeks that will be like NFL-style OTAs. And the big thing there is there will be walkthroughs 
with the football and with the staff all present. So essentially that is like a sort of uh, acclimation period and an easy way to transition into your normal preseason football stuff, which will begin on August 7th, which I believe will be – obviously there's, there will be, I imagine, new safety protocols for that compared to most years. But as far as what that will actually look like structurally, you know, I, I think about the same, if not exactly the same. So, so that July 24th to August 7th period is basically – I think it's really smart – you know, a way to just ease into it as opposed to just being like, hey, guys, go do the Oklahoma drill <laughs> and uh, get yourselves hurt. Yeah. Um, Although they don't so do that anymore, uh, do they? Do what? The Oklahoma drill. I thought they didn't do that anymore. I thought it was too dangerous or something. Or maybe was that maybe that was a Spurrier oh, thing, or no, maybe no. some places don't do it. Or They still do it? No, no. They, they, uh, they, yeah, they call it the cop drill around here. <laughs> so. mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah, good. They they, uh, they do the cock drill. Uh, I think you don't you don't do it obviously day one because there is you know there's a built in period where you don't have pads on and all that stuff. But I believe you know that's still a, a day one of full pads tradition. I, mm-hmm. I think is the old Oklahoma drill. Okay. All right. Cool. I'm glad that I'm glad they still do that. I remember not not exactly fondly, but I certainly remember doing that in uh, my my brief football playing days. Uh, Chris. <laughs> This is this is a pretty uh, I don't know normal calendar. I mean, normally, so my birthday is on August second, and Eric's birthday, Eric Camry, that I do the local show with on one zero seven five. His birthday is August first, and it's always around our birthdays that players are reporting and starting practice, and that's how I know it because that's what we're talking about. It's like, hey, happy birthday, Eric! Players are reporting, or hey, happy birthday, Pearson! Players are reporting. So it's happening a couple days later, but I guess the season's starting a little bit later than it normally does. Like I think last year, well, they played North Carolina on. Well, like August thirty first or September first, and this year the first game's not till September fifth. So, the schedule is pretty normal. So, I mean, we're we're sitting here having gone through all of this, and you know, all the other sports shutting down, and baseball hasn't started back, and the NBA and NHL are going to have abbreviated regular seasons, and it's it's just been crazy. But other than a few missed spring practices, this is going to end up being a pretty normal football calendar, at least for the guys on the team. Yeah, this model would be. And so this is a little bit different. You know, we've been talking about how college football for several weeks, we've talked about it here on, on the podcast, that there was a, a push to do some type of like OTAs, right, to sort of bridge the gap between, you know, for, for missing out on spring practices. I think I saw SI Ross Dellinger, I think, had a note in one of his stories that, you know, I think like 52 out of 130 FBS teams, like, didn't have spring practice at all. And so South Carolina had some, right? But there was a way to, like Wes was saying, you sort of give these players an opportunity to transition into preseason camp. And so the OTAs that we've been discussing for a while, we've talked about six-week models and eight-week models with it being a progression from weight room stuff to OTAs, which is sort of a light, you know, less contact, you know, type of practice similar to what the NFL does to preseason practice. And so to me, the I don't know if I'd even call it a surprise, but the difference in this model from some of the ones that we've heard is you still got the the stuff, the, the weight room stuff transitioning into OTAs, transitioning into camp, but you've got a longer camp period here. You know, one of the models that was tossed around was like a six-week model where you've got, you know, two weeks of this, two weeks of this, two mm-hmm. weeks of this. And so this is a longer, you know, this is your typical – 
sort of camp period. And so I think coaches will be, as long as nothing happens between now and then, I think coaches and players alike will be well pleased with this if this ends up happening because it gives you a lot of prep time, particularly those schools that had absolutely no spring practice. They're going to want every bit of it. Well, and for Will Muschamp, and even if they do have spring practice, they they want every bit of it. Right, right. Well, yeah, and especially <laughs> because I, I guess I don't remember if we were talking about this on the podcast last week or who I was talking to about this, but so much of spring because it, it, my understanding is, it's not a lot of install, so it's not like they necessarily lost a lot of time. People are like, oh, you know, you're, you're installing a new offense and you miss spring, and it doesn't sound like that's typically what it's for. But you're losing a lot of reps, especially for the younger guys, and that becomes so valuable, especially in a place like South Carolina where. I mean, frankly, you're you're really operating on the margins, and the difference between four and eight and seven and five is uh, you know a, a couple injuries here and there, and the backup either you know being ninety percent as good as the guy ahead of him versus sixty percent of the good sixty uh, percent as good as the guy ahead of him, and a lot of that comes down to being able to get the reps, not exactly game reps, but closer to game reps than than you know maybe just the the, the mental reps or the leadership reps, as Butch Jones would call them. So that's kind of what you're losing in spring, but. You know, maybe you can make up for it a, a lot in, in in the course of this extended preseason. And, and like I was saying, Will Muschamp said eight weeks to prepare for the season, and uh, including uh, the conditioning that's going on right now, it's it's going to end up being about 12. So, again, fingers crossed uh, that things stay, I guess, tenable on campus and in Columbia, even though we're seeing a, a little bit of a uh, – not a little bit. We're seeing a lot of bit of a spike around here, hopefully, that – um, the football team is, is mostly insulated from that and can sort of continue on this schedule and everybody remains healthy and things like that. But uh, the other part that I wonder, Wes, because I, 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 uh, I'm i being made aware of the fact that I'm less familiar with the football calendar than I realized, and I know that players are normally on campus and working out throughout the course of the summer and then they normally report at the beginning of August. But what kind of access does the head coach and do the coaches outside of the strength coach typically have to the players during the summer before they report for August? Because having eight hours and then 20 hours for parts of July for Will Muschamp to meet with a team, isn't that, isn't that unusual? Um, you know, that's a good question. It, it sort of all runs together for me as well. I, I know the workout portion, you know, generally is just strength staff. Um, Chris, I, maybe you can help me. I, I know in recent years, it seems like they've given them a little bit more access as far as uh, meeting with the players during the summer. I just don't know what the hour limit is. Do you know off the top of your head, Chris? No, you get – there's different times of the year. Um, I don't have, it, don't have it in front of me, you know. I mean, you get like the 20-hour rule and – countable athletic activities and all these different things. But, yeah, the summer is, is much heavier on the player aspect of it um, because you get the more, quote-unquote, voluntary stuff. Coach, you know, strength and conditioning staff, obviously, is very hands-on players at that time, but you get player-run practices. And that's not stuff that the, that the coaching staff is super involved with. Yeah, so I, I, I can't remember how recent it was, but I, I do know, Pearson, that, Fairly recently, I, I think they they changed some of the access to where you'd have, like Chris said, you'd have uh, strength conditioning staff would have them part of the day. They do PRPs, the player run practices, the other part. Then there would be some meeting elements where they could actually go sit down and, and talk about different things. Which, it, from what I, it sounds crazy, but from what I remember before, you know, there was a long 
section during the summer that 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 wasn't allowed at, at all mm. so or, or was very limited so I know the the players and coaches are probably uh, thankful to to have that time. Yeah, I mean it should be good, and and I, I don't know. Like it feels weird to say that it, it may end up. It, I mean, it's never going to be good that there was a shutdown because for a lot of the players, they're going to probably be a little bit out of shape. Will Muschamp, I, I appreciate his, uh, I appreciate his, I don't know, experience or or at least just willingness to accept the fact that not everyone on his team is going to come back in the best shape of their life, and that some guys will have done absolutely nothing for the last three months. So you know that part of it is never good, and, and that part's going to be hard to make up, but. I mean, ultimately, this could end up being a, a good thing for places like South Carolina because they have a little bit more time and because they've had access to these Zoom meetings to install offense and things like that. And for the younger players, maybe it'll end up being easier to get them into the fold because you've been able to address sort of the mental part of the game and the schematic part of the game a little bit earlier and a little more often than you normally would have. But um, again, this is all uh, still up in the air. These are these are tentative plans. Again, the NCAA will officially vote on it later this week uh, that is the uh ncaa division one council i can never keep all these like subgroups and little committees name straight but that's the one uh, again reading it from the newsletter so it's impossible for me to get it wrong but uh, as we get more information and as we progress a little bit closer to these official practices we'll certainly have more information and uh, keep you up to date uh one more recruiting thing that i wanted to do before we get out of here today and not exactly uh recruiting as you're thinking about it because uh, well we did all the you know relevant recruiting news for this South Carolina team off the top, but for a couple weeks in a row, I was teasing, uh, teasing the tales from the trail, and we never really got into it. But uh, I'm fascinated uh, by these by these stories. I-, I love listening to y'all tell recruiting stories, and a lot of it's just like off the air, and we're just talking about whatever. And you're like, hey, you remember that time that we went to go see so and so? And it's like, oh yeah, that was awesome. And those are like really cool. And like I said, most of them are off the air. So I wanted to give you two an opportunity and our listeners the opportunity to sort of hear some behind-the-scenes perspectives of, you know, guys that maybe they would have recognized. And and I had, like, a whole big idea for this, but we'll just do a, a smaller version of it now, and we can maybe do uh, a few more of these or, or change it up or something as the offseason progresses. And, uh, you know, frankly, we need to, we need to dip back into the, uh, into the content machine as we're – as we wait for news to come out of voluntary workouts and practices and things like that. But Wes and Chris, your prompt today is simple and uh, hopefully a, a fun and encouraging exercise. I, I want you guys to go back, and you all have both been recruiting, uh, covering recruiting for over a decade each. So you've talked to a lot of guys, a lot of guys that have gone to South Carolina, a lot of guys that have gone to other schools, guys from a lot of different places, guys that have lived up to their expectations, guys that have exceeded expectations, and guys that have come up uh, relatively short of what their expectations were. Uh, we'll start with, I'll start with you, Chris. Who is a guy that you were really high on that maybe you got a chance to see early as a sophomore or a junior that you knew he was going to blow up before he got big and he did, in fact, end up blowing up? Basically, what is your biggest win personally since you've been following recruiting? Mm. And this is a guy that could go to South Carolina or not. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't matter. Just anybody, anybody anyway. that you've covered, and presumably since you've mostly been doing it for Carolina, I guess it will be someone that was at least on Carolina's radar, or Carolina was on his radar. But you know, even if he didn't go there, like if you, I don't know, like maybe Arian Foster, I have no idea if he ever considered Carolina or Carolina ever pursued him. But someone like that, and you saw him as a sophomore, and you're like, that guy's going to be awesome. And people are like, what? Who is that? And then it's like, yeah, he's going to be the number one pick in everybody's fantasy draft for like three years in a row. So there, there are a couple guys. This is sort of a cheat. Now, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with Carolina guys just because a couple guys that popped to mind, and I've watched them closely. So 
you know, one was Javon Kinlaw with a caveat. I saw Javon for the first time at a combine at York High, and I think he was 15 or 16 years old. Um, My alma mater, FYI. That's right. Yep. Wes deserves credit for Kinlaw's development because he went <laughs> to a combine at Wes's alma mater. But but Kinlaw, you know, he was 6'5", 286. I don't know why I remember the specifics of that, but that's what he was. And he, ha- he had no idea what he was doing. So this was a combine. So there was no actual, like, football stuff. It was all, like, they, they let him bench press. They let him, like, push a sled. They let him run a 40. And Kinlaw didn't know how to do any of it. I mean, none of it. And he was super raw. He had just transferred to Goose Creek from, from Friendship Academy in D.C. But you looked at him. I always looked at him, and I was like, this kid, if he figures it out, could be really, really good. And the caveat that I mentioned is that I thought Kinlaw was going to be an O-lineman. A bunch of people thought that. College coaches, his high school head coach at the time, Chuck Reedy, who had college experience, head coach at Baylor, assistant coach experience. You know, a lot of people thought he was going to be an O-lineman. And I still, I'll go to my grave saying that Javon could be an elite offensive tackle. I mean, I think he could be awesome. But he's also he also turned out to be awesome as a defensive lineman. And so credit him for that and his development. Um, you know, the, the staff at Jones County, Javon, South Carolina's coaches for, for developing him. So that's one. Another I remember was, um, you know, not that this is any huge win, but Brian Edwards is a guy that I remember. I think I think actually Will Muschamp offered him first at Florida when, when Edwards was a freshman at Conway. But I remember seeing Edwards' tape as a freshman and going, yeah, this kid's going to be extremely good. And he ended up getting – you know, pretty nice offer list, probably not as big as it should have been even. He was a four-star guy and obviously had a really good career and got drafted. But but those are a couple guys that early on just popped in my head immediately. So when you were talking to other people either in recruiting circles or at schools or, you know, I don't know who you talked to about this kind of stuff, were you met with like, oh, really? Like this guy that has no idea what he's doing, you really think that he's going to be a – you really think that he's going to be a stud? I mean, did you have to convince him or were you just like, ah, you just keep no. it to yourself or what? No, I mean, I do think even some people around Goose Creek were like, I'm, I'm not really sure just because he is so raw. They go, I mean, look, this kid's huge. You know, he's got upside. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think he just wasn't as much on the radar. I mean, even out of high school, like he ended up getting offered by Florida when Muschamp was there. South Carolina offered him with the Spurrier staff. Um, I think Clemson had offered. And, um, you know, it, but it was just – it was a deal just where he was on the radar, but he wasn't, you know, nobody was like, this guy's a first round pick. Now, when he went to Jones County after South Carolina placed him there, he he ended up continuing to progress, grew, matured some, you know, physically. Mm-hmm. And then Alabama and Southern Cal and all these people offered him. And, and, and then people were going, okay, you know, this guy's going to got a chance to be good. So I, I wouldn't say people fought, fought against it or anything. And, I never, I, you know, to be clear, I, I'm not trying to credit myself too much. I, I mean, I, I know yeah, that's said, what the segment's oh, for, right? to, to make pick, to make sure know? everyone knows that you and Wes know more than everybody else. That's what this is for. <laughs> I'm I'm building you guys up. Well, I appreciate it, but I I, I don't. Uh, you're misrepresenting <laughs> the skill set a little bit. So, um, all right. Well, hold on. Let me let me get one more follow up, and then I'll, and then I'll get Wes's perspective on this. Ooh. Because this is a this is a similar question, but not exactly the same question. Was there anybody that you were really really bullish on that other people 
didn't necessarily think was going to pan out for one reason or another, whether it was, I mean, you saw potential as a late bloomer or maybe there was like injury trouble early in high school or something like that. But some guy that you were like, I refuse to believe that this guy's not going to be good. And he ended up being good. Mm, Man. I mean, that's not one I've given a ton of thought to. So there's not a guy that really comes to mind. Maybe Wes has one there. I, I can't really off the top of my head on the spot think of a guy that I just, you know, was was sort of quote unquote standing on the table for that mm-hmm. nobody believed in. Nobody okay. really comes to mind there. All right, Wes, your turn. Um, see, I I want to say I want to say a guy that I I think by the end of the recruiting process most people were on board with, um, but I do think I was a little bit early on Pharaoh Cooper. Mm, nice, it's um, a good one. Oh yeah, I I. I I think, um, you know, Chris and I at the time probably even talked to the same person. I think we were working for different companies, but uh, one of his coaches there that we both know was just very high on Pharaoh for a long time and was telling anybody who would listen that this guy was like the best kept secret in um, Havelock, North Carolina, which is just a far drive from about anywhere other mm-hmm. than New Bern, North Carolina. Um you know, over that way. And so, Pharaoh, I, I do think as far as him blowing up into a big prospect, um, I was probably early on Luke Doty. Um, just uh, being introduced to that family early on and sort of seeing seeing Luke run and just talking to him and seeing the leadership ability and being like, man, this guy is a Division One athlete. Um, you know, not sure yet. I think he was in like eighth grade, wasn't sure yet how he was going to develop or – what it was going to look like down the road. But, um, you know, I, I was high on, on Luke uh, mm-hmm. for a while there. Um, I, I do Not as a prospect, but I do distinctly remember um, telling people on the Gamecock Central message boards when, when Debo Samuel was like a true freshman and maybe even a redshirt freshman, that there were people at South Carolina telling me that if you watch South Carolina's practice from a distance, like from the overhead stuff, mm-hmm. that you couldn't tell the difference between Debo and Pharaoh. Hmm. That basically, because remember at the at the time Debo was like sort of ah uh, you know a little bit of an unknown unless you talk to maybe high school coaches that had played right. against them in the state. So that was and what twenty twenty fifteen Pharaoh's last year, is that right? Yes, I think that's right. And but basically, fair. You know, but people Farrow knew who Pharaoh was. was known, yeah, Pharaoh was a very much known commodity, best, best, best player on the offense, basically. And um, you know, if you would have said at the time Debo is as good as Pharaoh, you get some eye rolls, and then we we see what Debo ends up being. But mm-hmm. that you know that was more just people at practice telling me what they were seeing. But I remember catching a little bit of grief that uh, you know Debo's not you know you've overhyped Debo, and then. Um, obviously, Debo ended up being one of the best playmakers this school has ever seen. So, um, but you know, I think for the most part, the guys like that, um, you know, there there was some. There wasn't like that big national. Like Debo wasn't like this big four star recruit. Chose right. South Carolina over a couple of other offers. But if you talk to high school coaches in the state, they they knew they were like this guy could be a problem if he puts it all together. Mm. Yeah. Um, I have to mention this. I had I had no plan of bringing this up, but I saw it on Twitter this morning. And since you mentioned Debo, I have to mention this. Did y'all see 
Uh, Chad Johnson, formerly Chad Ochocinco, formerly Chad Johnson, tweeting out an endorsement of Debo this morning. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Said Debo Samuel. Dot, 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 dot. Yeah, it says, man, listen to me. I know my bleep. That bleeper is three fire emoji. And, um, you know, very uh, sound, sounds very much like uh, like Chad Johnson, just speaking from the heart. And, uh, yeah, what, what an endorsement, again, to come from a guy like Chad Johnson. So, uh, so there you go. That's a that's a good one, Wes. Chad Johnson agrees with you, and uh, I'm realizing now. I love uh, Chad Johnson. I know, I know, he's the best man. I, I oh man, he's great. Um, I'm thinking about this now after we finish the exercise, but I think the way that I should have done this was I should have asked Chris who Wes's biggest win was and Wes who Chris's biggest win was because y'all are both so magnanimous. You're not gonna you're not gonna you know pound your chest and say oh you know I was on this guy. But y'all totally do that for each other. So maybe next time we do one of these, I'll. <laughs> I'll do it like that because y'all are going to be much more complimentary of, of one another than you are of yourselves, which is a good thing. You know, I should I should learn from uh, from your humility, but um, I'm probably not going to. But uh, okay, do y'all have any other ideas? Any other? Not now, obviously, but but well, I, I want to ask you on the podcast. We all be brainstorming of some other ideas, some tales from the trail, some other recruiting stories that you want to tell. Because like I said, we'll we'll keep dipping back into this uh, as we progress sort of through the off season. But as much as I teased that, I wanted to get to that and uh, really get your perspective on that. Although I, what I would love to do, and especially y'all have both kind of mentioned this, this seems like the way to do it is like to get some high school coaches on here and be like, hey, who did you know? Because those guys, those guys know. I mean, because they see everybody and they all talk to each other. Um, but like in some ways, like there's not as much, uh, there's certainly not as much money in it, not as much notoriety and things like that. But in some ways, it, it's got to be a blast to be a high school football coach in a talent rich area because I mean, you just see everyone, you know, everything, you have a lot of those relationships. Like that's just, that's gotta be cool to be watching those guys progress from that age. Cause by and large, most people, you know, NFL scouts and things like that probably just start watching guys in college. So um, anyway, maybe we'll, we'll have to do that one of these days, but uh, that'll do it for us today. Thank you all so much for listening. Don't forget to uh, subscribe to GamecockCentral.com and subscribe to the Gamecock Central podcast network. Rate it and review it and share it with your friends as well if you uh, want to support the podcast since this pod is free. That's a, a great way to support it. But we'll be back next week with more recruiting notes, with hopefully some updates from voluntary workouts, maybe uh, even a clear picture of what the rest of the summer is going to look like as South Carolina tries to resume practice on a pretty normal schedule. We'll all cross our fingers for that for uh, the next week and change. But for Wes and Chris, I'm Pearson. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.